What a blessing. Julia's Bethany, back. What a blessing. Gosh, both of y'all the same Sunday. That's amazing. <laughs> Wonderful. Guys, thank y'all. Sean, good to have you back, my friend. Bless you. Um, hello. Hello. Happy Father's Day to everybody that's a dad. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day today with those you love. Uh, if you're a student, obviously you're dismissed. Get out. And, um, Get out. <laughs> go, go away. Um, you, uh, you want to turn to Mark chapter 2? I do. I should believe. Yep. And uh, while you do that, I'm going to pray, okay? Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that we can gather together today. We're here for various reasons. Habit, duty, fear, desire, need, pain, boredom. Uh, we've come for various reasons. But I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would change and transform all of our reasons like you turn that water into wine would you turn our selfish reasons for being here today into a all-consuming passion to hear your voice see your face feel your love receive fresh grace Honor you and give back to you glory and thanksgiving for your goodness. God, is that too hard a, 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 a task, too big a request? Would you show us that you are able to even do that in each of our lives today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, real quickly, as we get ready to study God's Word together. Um, on July, that's a month from now, July 20 and 21, our church is going to be doing a two-day inner city mission project uh, in the Orange Mound area. And we're going to be renovating two, uh, uh, three, sorry, three uh, houses that are owned by three precious uh, ladies, single ladies, who uh, their family—I think for the most—I think this is true that all of them have been in the family for generations, but they just have not had the funds to keep them up, to maintain them. The houses, not the, the houses. women. Yeah, not yeah, not the women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't speak to pronouns that. are important. I can't, I can't speak to that. Thanks. Anyway, uh, our church is going is making uh, our church and then. Uh, the contributions of some other people that I <laughs> that I regularly guilt into into uh, helping me with projects like this. Um, uh, anyway, we're we're making a sizable investment in the renovation of these three homes so that these ladies' living conditions will be better. And uh, there, uh, we know these ladies, and they're worthy of of our helping them, um, and uh, they're, they're just precious, and um, one's a preacher, and uh, one's just sweet, and one's uh, grumpy, but they're, they're all precious, all three of them, they're all, they're all precious, and uh, uh, anyway, I just wanted you to know about it, if you pray, I'd like you to be praying that this goes well, there's probably 
30, 35, maybe 40 people from our church that will be involved in um, helping with painting and yard work and cleaning of the houses when we're done. The church will have made a huge investment in all three homes during the next four weeks. Uh, I mean, roofs and underflooring and flooring and sheetrock and lighting and plumbing and big stuff, but stuff that we can't do. You wouldn't want to live in a house that I did the electricity for, clearly. And so we've got people that know what they're doing, professional people that will be doing the big stuff. And then we'll come in on the 20th and the 21st and uh, uh, paint and clean and then do the yards. And so I want you to know, you want to pray? Please do. We could use it. If you'd like to help or you'd like some more information about it, you can text me or stop me after church and I'll be happy to tell you about it. Anything about that I left out? I don't think so. Great. It's a good deal. It's a good deal. Our youth are going to be involved in that. Our, our youth will be, they're actually the ones that are going to do the yard work. They're going to do all the outside and then we're going to be inside uh, doing the painting and the cleaning. And uh, I was going to ask them to clean, but I saw a couple of their rooms and decided that, <laughs> never, never mind, uh, bad idea. So uh, anyway, um, I think that's it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a good deal. And so just wanted you to know that your church, we can't fix everything and we might not have billboards and television commercials telling everybody what we're doing, but, but we try. And uh, this would just be one of the ways that we're trying to show the love of Jesus to some people that Jesus loves. No. Okay? Um, yeah, you want to read that passage for me? I think it's I 1 through 11, give or take. So this is Mark chapter 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, You've heard this story before, I'll bet. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? An important question, because we as humans would say, Duh, it's an easy question to answer. A lot easier to say your sins are forgiven than to tell a fellow that doesn't know how to walk to stand up and walk. Yeah. In God's economy, it would be exactly the opposite. Telling a lame man to walk, how hard is that for God? Justifying the wickedness of mankind. And doing something about it. And that's a task. Yeah. That's it. So it'd be exactly the opposite of what would be hard. What's hard for us and what's hard for God would be very different. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, so after that question, so I will prove to you that the son, this is Jesus, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. Let me finish it. Yeah. Might and, as well. the, and the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. That, that's great. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. 
Today's Father's Day. And I'm sure that most of us approach fathers. Almost everybody in here had a dad. And uh, so most of us approach Father's Day with very uh, different emotions and perspectives. Some of us it's very joyful. Some of it's a very painful. Some, for most of us probably it's a mixed bag of goods. But uh, I was just thinking of my dad, about my dad this week. And uh, mama, how long has he been dead? Three and a half years. Okay, I was going to say two and a half, so that's good. Three and a half years. Um, and many of you knew my dad. Uh, he was a, uh, an interesting, to say the least, he was an interesting person. He was very unique, very amazing in many ways. Uh, never a dull moment. Uh, one of the things about my dad that made him unique is that he was fiercely independent. Uh, he was by anybody's definition. Shirley's known him since she was in the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So she can validate that. Uh, I met him at church camp yeah. where he goes, do you know I have on red underwear? <laughs> and I said, no, I was 12. And he showed me. <laughs> Showed me his underwear, and I'm like, well, I'll follow you. You're fun. Yeah. And he is fun. He He's was fun. fun. He was fun. Um, he was fiercely independent. Uh, he, by anybody's definition, he was not a crowd follower or a people pleaser. Um, he did what he, what he wanted to do. Uh, he did not care what you thought. He did not care what you said. Uh, and in some ways that was a strength and in some ways it was at times it was a strength and at times it was not but he was fiercely independent my entire uh, 59 years I guess that I knew him uh, he, his life proved that uh, he didn't become a Christian Robin was talking about a young man that accepted Jesus as his Savior yesterday, I guess as a, as a pre-teen, or I don't even know all those phrases, but anyway, in his, you know, 12, 13 years old kind of deal. And, um, but my dad didn't become a Christian until mid-40s, uh, yeah, till he was in his middle 40s. Um, and that was also an unusual journey, watching him learn to uh, understand and grow in his knowledge of who Jesus is and grow in his understanding of what that meant to follow him. But uh, one of the things that my dad, amazingly, to be honest, that he, once he became a Christian, one of the things that he got very quickly was that Following God does not go well if you try to do it alone. He got that. I don't even know how he got that. Because uh, he had... It, <laughs> anyway, he would call me with Bible questions or we, we'd have lunch and he'd talk to me at the Bible and I'd walk away going, Lord, have mercy. Uh, but, but in that regard, he got it very Clearly and quickly, this very true biblical principle, and that is that following God does not go well 
if you try to follow God alone. Doesn't work. Not the way God set it up. It's not the way God designed it. Hence, if we try to do things differently than the way God set it up, sort of like trying to, you know, sail your car across the, uh, you know, uh, Pickwick Lake. You can try, but it just doesn't go well. Well, trying to follow God alone doesn't go well. And my dad got that. He, he understood instinctively or supernaturally what many of you don't understand. And that is that we need others to know God well. We need others to run the race well. We need others to finish well. Proverbs 1 says that the wise listen to others and add to their learning and the discerning get guidance. They don't act like they can do it alone. I don't need your investment in my life. I can, me and Jesus are enough. My dad knew that wasn't true. My dad knew that was a lie. You and Jesus aren't enough. And he knew that was wrong. And it is wrong because the Bible says it's wrong. Ephesians 2, Paul says, You are being built together into a dwelling in which God's Spirit lives. We're being built together. You're, it's not that, Esther, you're a little temple of God, and I'm a little temple of God, and you're a little temple of God. No, God's building us together into a temple of God. Robin, you did a wonderful job of reading that passage, but I'm going to read it one more time, okay, just for emphasis. Last week or so, I've just been pondering two different passages of Scripture just from my own quiet time with the Lord in the mornings. Uh, one is what Robin read in Ecclesiastes 4. Listen to what Solomon says. There was one man who was all alone without a son or a brother. All he did was work, yet he never experienced contentment with all of his wealth. For whom am I working, he asked. Why am I depriving myself of pleasure? This too is meaningless and a miserable business. For two are better than one. For they'll have a good return on their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls down with with no one to help them up. If two people lie down together, they'll keep warm. I love that. I know. (laughs) But how can one person keep warm alone? One may be overpowered in a battle, but two can defend themselves. Some translations would say, but two can win the battle. The other passage that I read and have been pondering is in Psalm 142 where David says this. I looked around. Now listen to David. I looked around 
and no one was at my right hand. No one was concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my soul. Read it again. I looked around and there was no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my soul. How tragic to have a life where nobody cares if it goes good or bad. No one cares if you succeed or fail. Um, it is a true blessing to have people in your life who, who care for you, who care for us. Uh, to have people in your life that when you're sick, they care, they're worried about you. When you are going through pain, they hurt with you. When you're in trouble, they want to help. It's a blessing to have people in your life who genuinely care. Like those four dudes. They had a friend who had been crippled. I think it says, I forgot right this second, but I think it says all of his life. He'd never walked. And they heard about Jesus and that maybe he could do something about it. And so they grabbed the four corners of that stretcher and took him to Jesus. And I know the story goes on more involved, but at the end of the day, they cared about that man's well-being. Um, what I wanted you to think about with me today, it's a very simple thing that I'm, I'm wanting the Holy Spirit to speak to us about, but I find it very significant that when David talks about this in Psalm 142, notice he doesn't say, I don't have anybody in my life that cares about me. That's not what he says. He says, I don't have anybody in my life that cares about my soul. Not his golf handicap. Not about his manicure, you know, where's the best place to get a manicure. Not about his grades. Not about his income. Not even about his health. He's not, he didn't say that he doesn't have people in his life that don't care about him. What he said was, I've looked, I looked around it's all of this it's like he almost was walking along and it hit him and he stopped and he looked around and he says I might have a lot of people around me that care about me but I can't think of one person that cares about my soul so my question for us today Kate, for you, Sarah, for you, Karun, for you, rhetorical question. But do you have, and Larry, do I have somebody in my life 
who intentionally, specifically, and doggedly, I love that word, doggedly, cares about your soul. Cares about your spiritual success. Not your, how you're going to do financially or professionally or relationally or bodily uh, or, or whatever. Not, not that those things aren't important. And I'm not suggesting that Jesus didn't care. Those four men cared about that man's body. I find it very significant that when they brought that man to Jesus, what they wanted, they cared about his body and they wanted Jesus to care about his body. And he did. That's not the point. But the very first thing that Jesus said to that man was not, get up off that mat and walk down the road, dude. You're healed. The first thing he said to that man was, your sins are forgiven. Does anybody care about your soul? Does anybody care about my soul? Jesus says in Matthew 16, What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? You get a Grammy or an Oscar or a Tony. Tony. I was going to say Pulitzer, but that's a, a Tony. The Pulitzer is a thing, too. Well, I know, but that's for plays, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Is that right? Or yeah. something? Yeah. I don't know making difference what it is. I don't care. I'm not going to get any of them. But you're, you will. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Or not that you don't get a clean bill of health. Or your financial advisor says to you, you know you can retire. Why are you still working? Go have fun. Shoot. Those are all good things. Or your kid is knocking the ball out of the park at Harvard or Yale or, or wherever they are. Uh, those are all important things. But, the, but my question for us today is, is the question that David asked. Does anybody care for your soul? Let me finish the verse. What do you, Jesus says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own your lose your soul, is anything worth more than your soul? And I think what Jesus is saying, I don't think you have to be a theologian to get that, to understand what he's saying. That in Jesus' value system, in his economy, there is nothing more important than your soul's health and success. Jesus cares about your soul and he cares about it more than he cares about anything else. My question is, is there anybody else on the planet who at the end of the day really cares about your spiritual success? I find it very interesting if you read through the Gospels, the four Gospels, and just watch how Jesus interacted with people. I don't think anybody ever walked away from an encounter with Jesus. If there is, you, you tell me. Help me here. But can you think of somebody that walked away from an encounter with Jesus and wondered what was most important in Jesus' mind about their life? 
Is Jesus more concerned about my soul or my finances? My soul or my health? My soul or my education? My soul or my business? Wonder if, the, wonder if Nicodemus was confused. Or the rich young ruler. Or the twelve disciples. Or Mary and Martha when Jesus let their brother die. Wonder, Mary and Martha, is your emotional happiness more important to Jesus or your soul? I think anybody and everybody that had an encounter with Jesus, they walked away. I don't think any of them said Jesus didn't care about any of those other things. But I think every one of them to a person would have said, Jesus cares about all those things, but at the end of the day, what He cares about the most is my spiritual success. Is there anyone in your life, is there anyone in my life, that specifically, intentionally, and doggedly cares about your spiritual success? They are committed to your spiritual health and success. Well, I want to end by asking us three questions. I've got three basic questions that I want to ask you and want you to think about. Okay? First one is this. If you answered that question... Do you have anybody in your life that cares about your spiritual success? Cares about your soul? Really cares? If you answer that question, yes, I do. Then I want to ask you some little questions, sub-questions. How are you relating to them? Are you utilizing them? Are you gleaning benefit from them? Are you thankful for them? Are you guarding that relationship with them? When you sense that that relationship is weakening, waning, drifting apart because of maybe good things, busy things, other things, but that, that relationship with that person who has declared to you either overtly or not, I am committed to the success, the spiritual success of your soul. Come hell or high water, come what may, I'm gonna, I'm committed to you flourishing spiritually. What are you, if that, if you're, the answer to that is, yes, I've got somebody like that. They bug the dickens out of me. Worrying about my spiritual success. They're always hounding me. To a point of being annoying, aggravating, wearisome. But yes, I've got them. How, what are you doing with that relationship? Are you thankful? Do you express your gratitude? Do you guard it? Do you cultivate it? Are you reciprocating? Do you... Return the favor. If you have somebody like that, I was thinking about Ruth and Naomi. Mm -hmm. Interesting that when Naomi was going back home, 
She'd lost everything. She'd yes, lost her husband, lost her sons, lost her land, lost her way. She had nothing in her mind. Nothing. And she says, I've lost everything. And Ruth standing there going, Woohoo! I'm here. I mean, standing right there. Right there. I love you. I'm committed to you. I will I love you so much. I'm so committed to you. Wherever you go, I'll go. I'll leave my family. I'll leave my home. Because I'm committed to you. I'll go anywhere you want to go. I will I love you. I'll stand by you. I will serve you. I'll bless you till I die. Oh Naomi, I don't have anybody. <laughs> I don't have anybody. You don't have anybody? It's a it's an interesting human place though. I mean we have to have or I have a little bit of empathy for Naomi. She's lost everything and it's just, you know. And yes, Ruth is there and, and there's a great end to that story. Uh, but it is a human yes. place, isn't it? Yes. Um, many years ago now, Larry went through a dark time. And it was difficult. It was, it was a bad. difficult time. And it lasted for a minute. A couple of years. And during that time, I remember his saying those words. Mm, oh, yeah. I don't even know if what friendship means mm. sounds Sounds odd now, doesn't it? I don't even mm. know that if I've got a if I, if I have a friend in the world or if I ever have had. Mm. While friends were everywhere, people were stepping up, people were trying to help, people were helping, people were there. But the feeling, the emotion, mm. so often trumps the truth. Mm. Friends were knocking at the door. How can mm. we help? How can we help? Mm. But again, emotion trumps truth, and that's upside down. That's upside down. You don't say that anymore. No, no. Second question. First question is, if you have somebody like that, who doggedly, intentionally, faithfully cares about your soul, what are you doing with that relationship? Do you value it and are you utilizing it and are you protecting it and growing it? Or is it just like your dry cleaner? Eh, they're, they're probably going to always be there. And if they're not, I'll go to another one. I'll go down the road. Second question. If you don't have somebody like that, who passionately, intentionally, doggedly cares about your soul. My question is, why not? I'm not saying, are you not popular? I'm not saying you can't invite a bunch of people over and they'll all flock. I'm not saying you're not well known. I'm asking you, do you have anybody in your life that cares about your soul? And if you don't, the question is, why don't you? Don't you believe you need anybody? Do you think you're above that? Not you. You don't need anybody like that. You don't need anybody that cares about your soul. You're better than that. You're a rock. You're an iceberg. You're a mountain. You don't need anybody spiritually. A lot of great people in the Bible felt that way. Samson. Saul, 
Solomon. They didn't need anybody. How'd it go? How'd, how'd that work out for them? Ephesians 3, Paul says in Ephesians 3, I pray that you will have the power. Listen to this. Paul says, I pray that you will have the power with the help of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ really is. Do you hear what Paul said? You cannot understand how much God loves you without the help of God's holy people. You will never get it alone. You will never, I will never get it alone. I need other people. I need Chuck and Alan and Tommy and Sherry and others. Of, and Jerry. I need people to help me really get it that God loves me. Solomon says in Proverbs 12, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to others. He says again in chapter 27, like iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And one of the most amazing verses in the entire Bible is in James chapter 5. Listen to what James, the half-brother of the Lord, says. Confess your sins, not to God. The Bible talks about that too. But that's not what James says. James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and then you'll experience God's healing. Does that not suggest that my healing, whatever that means, emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally, whatever, that my healing, the healing God longs to give me, it's going to come through my connection with others, not just God. Have you asked for somebody for God to send somebody in your life that cares about yourself. James says you have not because you ask not, right? I don't have anybody that really cares about my soul. Have you asked God to send somebody in your life that cares about your soul? Have people offered to make that investment in your life? No thanks. I'm busy. Woo! If you just knew how busy I am. Does your thin skin, your busy schedule, your cold demeanor, your confidence frustrate and intimidate and hinder people who would be willing to make that kind of investment in your life? Thin skin is a popular thing right now. <laughs> Dang near no skin. And then my third question. I think, it's, I think that second question is a very important one. If you, do you have somebody in your life that really doggedly cares about your spiritual Because I don't think I do. Then why not? Why not? Why don't you? 
Has there been a trail of people who tried and you either left them behind because you just got bored or busy or, or got mad? How dare you? How dare you challenge me, warn me, rebuke me? How dare you do that? Third question. Do you care about people's souls? I know you care about your daughter's musical success and education. I know you care about your husband's whatever and your wife's whatever and your friend's whatever. I know you, I'm not asking you to care about people. I'm asking you and I'm asking me at the end of the day, do I care? Do I believe Jesus' words when I think about my grandson, when I think about my bride? What does it benefit a person? What, does it, what is it going to benefit Teddy if, if I help him gain the world and he loses his soul? Do I care about people's souls? Paul says in Philippians 2, don't just look out for your own interest, but look out also for the interest of others. John says in John 3, uh, uh, 3 John, sorry, friend, I pray that you will enjoy good health and prosperity even as your soul prospers. One of my favorite verses is in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says that it is God's plan that we all reach unity in our faith and the knowledge of God. And that word there for all, it is God's plan that we all reach unity of faith. That word all, there's a very special word for all. And you know what it communicates? No stragglers. I will not let you fall behind. I'm marching on. I'm, I'm doing my Jericho march. I am walking with God. I'm not going to sit down. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to veer off. I'm not going to go backwards. But Paul would be suggesting here, that's not, bravo, Karun. Way to go, Sarah. Way to go, Julia. But God says, that's not enough. How about the people in your sphere of influence? Are they, are, they march, are they doing the Jericho march with you? No, not all of them. Paul would say, then that's not enough. No stragglers. That, that is unacceptable. Stragglers are unacceptable. Stragglers are unacceptable. We're going to go, we're going to win together or lose together, but we're going to go together. Anything? Okay. Anyway. Thank you for not letting me be a straggler. No kidding. I mean that. Isolation is a big problem. Well, as long as you have the right internet. You know, yeah, that's true. And TV. That's true. Then, you know, what more could you want? But the internet will not look you in the face and say, 
I'm not going to leave you behind. I'm not going to leave you behind. We're going to go together. Win, lose, or draw, we're going to go together. The internet will not do that for you. TV preachers will not do that for you. Thank you. Real human beings. Yeah, real human that. beings. I looked around me and I could not find anyone who cared for my soul. I think those are very sad words. Um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and we're going to celebrate it together. That's what the New Testament says you're supposed to do. We do things together. We go down to Orange Mount and serve together. We celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We sing together. We study God's Word together. Sure, there are other opportunities and ways. I'm not denying that. But they're all, it's good that we do things together. It's good that we gather and visibly eat and drink as a way of declaring together, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. And that He died on the cross. And that I'm going to heaven because He did. And I'm, I got up this morning with a fresh desire to try to follow Him. I can't tell you about tomorrow, but today I'm follow, I believe in the Lord and I'm following Him. And I want you all all to know that. And it helps and encourages me to hear that you are doing the same thing. That I'm not alone. It's a big deal. And so I invite you uh, to come. Come to the Lord's table of mercy. Receive fresh grace from His nail-pierced hands. Eat from the bread of salvation and drink from the blood of the Lamb. You come, if you'd like.